This is WMPG. My name is Dr. Ann, and this is Safe Space, a live show for the courageous discussion of emotionally charged topics. Tonight is the first in a series on the subject of shame. My guest tonight is Dr. Aaron Lazar, and we're going to be talking about shame, humiliation, and apology. Dr. Aaron Lazar is the Chancellor Dean Emeritus of UMass Medical School. He's also the author of a book on apology, and he's also the author of an article that was very influential in my formation as a doctor called Shame in the Medical Encounter. Welcome to Safe Space, Aaron Lazar. Glad to be with you. I want to start out by asking you um, how you first got interested in the topic of shame. I get interested in it by watching. I was very sensitive to patients' experiences, and I saw how patients were ashamed of so many things. And I learn about this from myself because I'm a patient and everyone else is. And so I was just watching myself and thinking of the devious things we do to avoid being shamed, like when you go to the dentist uh, for your checkups, I noticed that I brush my teeth more religiously for the two weeks before I come. Right. And if I haven't, sometimes I cancel the appointment. So I don't. <laughs> so, the, so, 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 the, so the dentist says, "My God, what a terrible person you've been." You, know, you always wonder if I just floss for those last two weeks before the appointment. Will they know? <laughs> right. Will I be able to cover it up. I found out that you can. You can in two weeks. You can make yourself look pretty good. But there's so <laughs> many things you know in medicine. You have to take off your clothes. And if God forbid you hospitalize, they put you in a gown. How shameful it is, because shame has to do with losing the image that you have of yourself, things that make you proud, and here you're denuded. And then, and then they give you names of diseases that, uh, that, are, that are really, uh, that, that are really sh- uh, shameful. Like what would be some examples even, of even that? Even the simplest thing, like hypertension. Hypertension refers to high blood pressure. It doesn't mean that you're tense. Mm. But it also has a stigma of, of being tense and, and, and having a heart attack. You know, there's a, uh, you can have a, an inferior infarction, which refers to a blood vessel that's called the inferior uh, coronary artery. And but to be, I had a patient one who I said, you have an inferior infarction. And he said, no, this is a big one. I had a superior infarction. <laughs> oh. uh, but through every, every uh, kind of diseases, we uh, shame and humiliate people. You have heart failure. What an awful thing to say to somebody. Or uh, you, you are have an incompetent cervix. That's a legitimate diagnosis. That the cer- Yes. Something about the, 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 the anatomy of the service, but called incompetent. What an awful thing. Right, so the person can't help but feel like somehow it's my fault. Yeah, you have a lazy eye or a failed back, or even you're an invalid, invalid. That's invalid. So doctors really uh, don't, don't, don't put themselves in the patient's position, but that's something that, that I, I, I always did. And so I try, I try to make these changes to preserve the dignity of a patient because medical care has so many indignities associated with it. Yes, you know, part of why I feel very grateful to have this chance to interview you because you uh, really opened my eyes to that, I think, when I was in the first year of medical school. And it ended up having a very powerful um, effect on me all the way through because I kept thinking about that and yeah. noticing it. And how painful that was. How about having a malignancy? It's bad enough you have cancer, but... 
Right, malignant. <laughs> it sounds so evil. That's right. Yeah, there's something evil about you. Yes. So, so actually, maybe it would be good to backtrack a little bit and define our terms. Um, you've spoken about there being four uh, self-conscious emotions, and I think it might be worth us actually taking some time to go through each one and sure. how they're different. There are four emotions that are called the emotions of self-assessment, that an emotion you feel which reflects on who you are. And one of them, one of the four is shame. And shame, uh, the word shame comes from schema, to cover. So to, to be shamed is to be uncovered uh, the, from, from the original Latin or Greek. So you're shamed, you're uncovered. And uh, we'll talk about the positive and negative of each one. Humiliation is actually a more painful emotion because it comes from the humus, the dirt. It means to have your, pay, your face pushed into the ground. And to be humiliated, it, it, in general, it means that it's an interpersonal event. Someone does it to you, it feels unfair, and you're lowered, and it's public. And the, with, with shame, the, the reaction to shame is to hide. By the way, the word skin comes from shame, too. The skin covers. But humiliation uh, generates anger and rage. And a lot of people who commit murders or who are violent have just been humiliated. Uh, so that's, that's a really a very serious emotion and uh, uh, one that I really I pay a lot of attention to because uh, uh, it, it's, I'll, I'll talk more about that syndrome because it's so powerful. Uh, another one is embarrassment, which is the least of the, of the ones, the least serious, but to be embarrassed is to lose your composure. So when you're embarrassed, you tend to laugh it off or you tell your friend, which is a healthy way to, to deal with it. With humiliation, you just uh, can't get it off your mind. It's driving you crazy. It just You perseverate with it. and to, to shame, you hide. And then guilt is, again, a more quiet one. You, how could I have done something so terrible? And that's usually a, a private emotion, too. So these are called signal emotions, which is, which is interesting because it means that and, and this, this is the way I make good use of it. They signal that you have a problem. And so if you're embarrassed, what you ought to do is say, I've lost composure. How do I gain my composure instead of doing something really stupid? Uh, or to be humiliated, what you should do is nothing because your judgment is so bad. For those of you who have been humiliated, and anyone who has not been, I'm afraid to say that you're a liar, <laughs> Either that or they repressed it because it's such a horrible experience. It's horrible. We, and we, people don't even like to use the word humiliation. When I, when I go walking uh, and do my exercises and some of the, my neighbors say, what are you writing about? I say, I'm writing a book about humiliation. And I see them in two weeks and they say, how's your book on humility? Right. <laughs> it's not on humility. They can't imagine that a quiet, mild-mannered fellow like myself would write a book about such awful things. Yes. Humiliation is the cause of wars. In fact, um, people century about you know, uh, five, fifth century BC, someone who wrote the history of the Peloponnesian Wars said that the three causes of war are greed. Fear and loss of honor. Loss of honor is what humiliation is all about. Yes, I mean, I remember being told in high school that World War II, in some ways, was the result of Germany being humiliated after World War One. That's that's common historical knowledge that the, the Versailles Treaty was so cruel, 
that they had to get even. And so Hitler rose to power because Hitler was a humiliated person, and now he was going to lead and, and, and get re- redeemed by it. Yeah, yeah. It's Humiliation is a dangerous, dangerous emotion, and you should never humiliate someone. And when you do and you can't help it, you can... Uh, a good apology can can help it, and if it happens to yourself, as I said, don't do anything because you're going to do something really dumb. If you write a letter, don't don't, don't send mail it. it. Yes, well, I actually want to slow down because you have a really great in your book on apology. You write about kind of the sequence of events that tends to happen to a person when they feel humiliated, and yeah. it, it seems really worth walking through that. You talk in the beginning about being absolutely blindsided. Yeah, and when, I wondered if you could just sort of talk us through the process. Yeah, when you're humiliated, the first thing that happens is you're kind of numb. You're kind of not sure what's going on. And then and the other thing, and this happens to almost everybody, you start to perseverate that as you can't get it off your mind. It kind of, somebody said it's like they're living in my mind rent-free. Mm-hmm. I, remember, I remember my way of relating to that is I know I've been humiliated if I keep rehearsing better and better comebacks in my yes. mind, like, oh, I wish I'd said that, or, and I keep refining that comeback to make it even more counter-humiliating. <laughs> <laughs> well, well uh, someone, someone very important in, in the organization I was in humiliated me and everybody else, and he would uh, say things like, oh, psychiatry, I don't believe in psychiatry. And he, he would do that in front of many people, and here I was in charge of the department. And, and then I realized that one of the things that, that he does is he catches me off guard. See, so there are some people, we each have a relative or a friend who's what I call a chronic humiliator. They're always putting you down. And the only way to, to undo it is to have the answer ready in advance. Ah. Because you're not ready. Okay, so did you... Okay, just stay with that story then. So here's this guy who says he doesn't believe in this in this field that you've devoted your life to. That's right. What uh, what answer did you have in, in advance for oh, the Oh, so time? what I did, this was, this was one of the high points of my career. <laughs> <laughs> I want to hear it. So I walked into his office, and there were about 20 other people there, and he says, oh, here comes my psychiatrist. I don't believe in... And, and I said, Dr. Smith, it's not his name, Dr. Smith. And I very kindly, without being rattled, I said, how long have you felt this way? <laughs> he, he turned red. He totally, totally unraveled. And he, <laughs> he says, what do you want me to do, lie down? I said, you can lie anywhere you want. Uh, and he never did it again. I see. So that was your effective way of getting to stop. Yeah, no, you don't want to overdo it if I said, you know, you blank, 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 with all kind of curse words. It would look like I was out of control. But, uh, but if you keep your cool, you can have something measured in, in advance. Yeah, that's very helpful. But the other thing to do is don't do anything because you're going to do the wrong thing. Okay, yeah, so well, you've said that a few times, but let's just go back. We'll come to that. So the first thing is you feel blindsided. Right. The second thing is you notice yourself perseverating and sort of rehearsing comebacks and just going over and over right. it in your mind. And then, then you start thinking about revenge. Yeah. And then you start, you're, you're so preoccupied that you... Uh, forget things. You uh, lose your keys, or you, you take the wrong turn on the highway because your mind your mind is struggling to keep yourself sane, so to speak. You know, and uh, yeah. and then it goes away, but it doesn't go away. It it, it becomes a, a a grudge, a revenge, almost like waiting for your chance to get even. So that takes a lot of energy out of you. Yeah, so you've said, you know, be careful, don't act, because you're going to do something stupid. Meaning, if you act out of that righteous rage, yeah. you will ultimately regret it. Yeah, if you send, you write a letter and send it off about two days, you'll say, boy, that's brilliant, it's a brilliant letter. And then a few <laughs> right. days later, 
you say, oh, my God, what have I done? I wish I hadn't sent that. Yes, but you've also said that apology is finally the only way to heal a humiliation. Well, the apology on the part of the person who humiliated you. Yes, but what if that's not forthcoming? Because, of course, it often isn't. If it's not forthcoming, you have to... uh, um, <laughs> you kind of swallow it and don't do anything stupid. But I found in my own self, if somebody said, you'll never do that, it can't work, that motivates me, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show them. So they could be constructive things, too. So a lot of constructive things I did in my professional career was sort of, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show them that I could really uh, pull, pull this off. And uh, I, I see. Had, so you I, channeled it. You sort of channeled it into fuel for yourself. That's right. I, there's a fascinating story that I recently had there was somebody, a very famous psychiatrist, uh, who was coming to visit our school for three days, but he wouldn't come unless he would have an hour appointment with me. And I knew who he was, and, and the reason that he wanted to speak with me is because I humiliated him in 1964. Mm-hmm. This, this just happened, and and now 64... <laughs> Yes. God knows how many 46 years later. 46 years later, yes. He came back and he said, I want to talk to you. He says, do you remember what you did now? What I did, I had to do. I had to take away a patient that he was seeing because he wasn't handling the patient well. But I didn't realize how devastating it was. So I wasn't, I was kind when I said it, but I didn't do enough follow-up. And he, he he's telling me about this and he says, do you remember that? I said, I remember all of it. And then he said, uh, I decided that someday I was going to become famous and I was going to come back and show you, and here I am. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. And he gave me a gift. He had written a book recently, and he, he brought a book, and he said, to my best teacher. <laughs> uh, and so in that moment, did you apologize to him? Oh, I explained that, that I, I apologized by saying, you know, I, what I did was the right thing, and I'm glad that you felt that I did it delicately, but I, I didn't understand how much it would hurt and how long it would last, and that I should have been in ongoing dialogue with you, and I've learned that since, and so that was the apology. Mm. That's a great story, because part of what it shows is that when you feel humiliated, it's very hard to let go of it. You hold on to it for decades. Yeah, it, it, you know, the other thing to keep in mind is the, the synonyms for humiliation. Now, if you ask me what's a common synonym for shame, I would say, oh, I had egg on my face. Well, that's not a terrible thing, you know. But have a humiliation. I was thrown under a bus where I was nailed to the cross. Uh, I was decimated. I was stabbed in the back. I was kicked in the groin. I have a hundred of these things. I collected a hundred synonyms, and they're all destructive. And it shows how destructive. So it's... It's murder, not murder of your body, but murder of yourself. And that's why you think about it and you're struggling with it because it's an attack on your very soul. So don't humiliate people. And when you are humiliated, uh, realize that you're not dead and that you really can can make a comeback on it. Mm. But it's an extraordinary, extraordinary emotion that people people don't like to even, even talk about. You told me that you're writing a, a new book on humiliation, I understand. And you mentioned, and I was very intrigued, that you've written one chapter in which you have written about 18 experiences of your own where you felt oh, humiliated. It was, it was really quite wonderful. I was, as I'm writing all of these stories that I have, I start to remember all of my own humiliations. And, uh, 
And but this time, as I'm as I'm reading about, it, I'm seeing them in a, in a different light. Uh, all of my my shame stories too, that these things were so repressed that I never had a chance to see them. And as I'm writing it, I'm feeling this great sense of uh, liberation. I have a great story about shame when I uh, went to college. If you want to hear, tell this me, one. tell me your story. Well, I'm, my father was a stand-up comedian, so I'm good at storytelling. Great. I went off to a small Midwestern college, and I found a beautiful girl that I fell in love with, and now I'm on a hayride with her. And uh, she turns to me, uh, and I had never been on a hayride before. I didn't even know what hayrides were all about. You know, I was from a little city that didn't have any hay. <laughs> <laughs> a hayless city, okay. So, what? A hayless city. A hayless okay. city. Yes. That's right. Uh, one of these cities close to New York, where it's where the where the odor of the air was 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 bad. So we're now I'm out in the, out in, in in Ohio, uh, in, out in the in the boondocks, and and I'm on this hayride, and she says, "Aaron, are you an athlete?" Now, I uh, am a very honest person. I'm meticulously honest. So that when I lied to her and told her I was an athlete, I felt really bad. Mm ashamed you're ashamed when you fail to live up to your aspirations for yourself so my aspiration is to be an honest person here i've told a lie and so i feel bad and now she turns to me and she says what sport and now i'm digging a deeper hole <laughs> and the shame the shame is getting worse so yes. i said uh, i run track because i was devious because I knew that uh, the track team didn't go out until the spring, and this was the fall. Uh. But it uh, turned out the spring came, and I'm still dating her, still in love with this girl. And so uh, she says, the track team is out. I thought you told me you are on the track team. So what did I do to redeem myself? The next day, I joined the track team. Anything to avoid confessing. Anything to confess and, and avoid shame. Now but I you were it. covering. You were covering it up because we know that shame is about covering. That's right. That's right. <laughs> that shame is to so. So now I'm covering it up and I'm making the lie a truth. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I ran for four years. I had a wonderful time. <laughs> <laughs> so your strategy of turning shame and humiliation into fuel that makes you more determined. That's yeah, really worked really for you. Both of them, yeah. Uh, that's very striking. So, so, so the, the, I call, said before, I said, these are signal emotions. They signal you're in trouble. Well, don't do something stupid about it. Think and then do something constructive with it. <laughs> that's right. This is Dr. Ann at Safe Space on WMPG. I'm talking to Aaron Lazar about shame and humiliation. And I want to ask you, you know, in for you, I understand that shame kind of can be both good or bad, depending on if there's too much or too little. I yeah. wonder if you could say more about that. Uh, you can be, there was a, an Admiral Borda in the Navy. He was the, he was the, the first uh, Navy Admiral, head of all of all the, all the admirals, and he never even went to Annapolis. And he, he was started wearing a medal that he didn't deserve. And I think it was Newsweek picked it up, and they were on their way to shame him, to expose him. And before they got there, he shot himself right in the, right through the metal, right in his heart. Oh goodness! So, so the worst thing that could happen is shame. Is you want to disappear from the face of the earth? I mean, and, and the metaphors for shame is I, want, I wanted to hide under the rug, I wanted to disappear from people. Well, he did. So, 
So there's something terrible that you could do from shame, just like there's something terrible you could do from humiliation. You could kill the other person or punch them out, uh, but, uh, but you could do something constructive. So if you think of it as a signal, a signal that, you're, that, you, that you have a problem, uh, then, then you can work with it. There, there, there's a, a comic book when uh, I was uh, when I was a little kid uh, about this um, muscle building program. And in the comic book, there was this scrawny little person, and the bullies used to kick sand on him in front of his girlfriends. And uh, and what did he do? Then he subscribed to this bodybuilding contest. Then he became strong, and then he could fight them off. Right. So even there in the comic books from the 1940s, there were opportunities for shame in which you could turn it around into strength and opportunities for humiliation where you don't buy into it, even though it uh, it may take 20 years before you get even in a constructive way. I have another question about though. You define shame as when you lose the image you have of yourself. Yeah, you, you fail to live up to, the, to your, your, your image, yes. Yes, and but what if the image you have of yourself is falsely unattainable? I mean, what if... If, for instance, a person comes to have sh- feel shame about having needs at all, something that really isn't inherently shameful, but the person's image of themselves is really an unrealistic one, as if a person, as if a grown-up isn't supposed to have any vulnerability or isn't supposed to have needs. Well, they come and see a psychiatrist like you and me, and, <laughs> and, and, and help, help help see the irrationality of the image that you you convince somebody, hopefully by your interviewing, that you are a decent, normal person. Where do you get these peculiar ideas about yourself? And I said, well, my mother told me this Yeah, right. The thing is, it's not so peculiar, right? I mean, that's so common. Oh, yeah. That people try to live up to an image of themselves that's really unattainable, and therefore they feel terrible. They feel ashamed in an almost chronic way. Yeah, and so I guess when you have parents who are too demanding and expect of you things that are way beyond your reach. That's really unfair, and you're feeling ashamed all the time. Yes, it feels like that is all too common, sadly. Yeah, I'm sure you see it a lot in your practice. Yes, I do. Um, so you, But then you also say that somehow that too little shame is a problem. I wondered if you could explain that. Oh, to be shameless. What a terrible thing. You're a criminal. <laughs> you have no no morality about anything. So to to be shameless is to is to have something really missing. You teach your children, oh, mommy is so proud of you, and, and, uh, or mommy is disappointed that you broke the toy. You should break someone's toy. And so you, you hopefully create a reasonable image. And I don't know what the origin of a psychopath is, someone who just doesn't care and goes around shooting people and robbing banks, but they're shameless. I see. So shame can have a kind of socializing function where it helps us to behave a more considerate way, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. Shame is a, shame, shame is a, and a sh- I, I don't see too many good things about humiliation, but I think shame has a lot of very uh, positive things. Uh, is a quote I have from someone: "To feel shame is to know there's a better side of ourselves. It's the sin qua non of humanity." Mm. And then I, the other thing I, I think about: shame is like blood pressure. If it's too high, it's bad. If it's you know, if you're ashamed of everything, it's yes. bad. If you're ashamed of nothing, it's bad. But it's like your blood pressure right in the middle. It's just uh, it's just the right just amount. Right. So we we don't have much time left, but I want to end in talking just a little bit about apology because I know your work on shame uh, really dovetails beautifully with apology. And yeah. I want to ask: you know, I'm really interested in 
what makes apologies work, but also what makes people avoid apologizing. And and I wondered if you could comment about about the relationship between shame and apology and whether people feel avoid apologizing because they feel ashamed to do so. Yeah, people, the first, an apology is one of the most, an, an honest, genuine apology is one of the most profound things that could happen between two humans because uh, one person is, it's, it's a healing of a wound. And and this is part, this goes back, you know, primates apologize. They, after they have a fight, they'll stroke the other person and mm-hmm. Preliterate human beings apologize and atonement and uh, and repentance and in all the great religions apologies are built into it. So this is this is not a new phenomena, but to apologize is uh, is is a most extraordinary healing thing when it when it's done right. And it's just to make it simple in short time, if I humiliated somebody, supposing I yelled at a student and I said, what a stupid idea that was, and the student left out of the room and didn't want to come back. The only way that I could, I never never did this, but the only way I could apologize was to go to the full class where I humiliated him and said, what I did was just stupid. It was insensitive. I don't know what got into me, but this is a wonderful student and whatever. So what you're doing in the uh, in, in, in the, a lot of a lot of offenses are humiliations, and in the apology, you're restoring it. You're undoing. It. You're saying it wasn't him; it was me. And so, I sacrifice, in a way, some of my own self-esteem, uh, and hopefully, I'm strong enough to do it. Uh, that I made a terrible mistake, and I feel awful about it. And, and how can I make it up to you? And that just takes the pus out of the wound, and it's just remarkable. And, and people. All kind of wonderful things happen between two people when someone can apo- can apologize genuinely. Now, most apologies are terrible apologies. For instance, I'm sorry if you were upset. Right. <laughs> that means that I don't even believe anything happened. Like it's like if you're so sensitive that it bothered you, I'm sorry. Are you happy now? Right. Or, it's uh, all your fault, and the if suggests right. it might not even. Have or I'm sorry for whatever I may have done. I mean, you don't know what you did. So in an apology, it's a complex thing, and you're just going to have to read the book. But uh, you have to acknowledge what the offense was. Yes, you have have a whole chapter on acknowledgement that felt so powerful. So often what the offended party wants is just to feel acknowledged. To acknowledge that, and to acknowledge that it was bad, and that it was wrong. And and, uh, so it's simple, but it's so complicated because it requires... A sacrifice on your part to make a, 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 a an apology. You you have to humble yourself to do it. Yes, I mean that's you know when when I was preparing for this interview, I was doing an informal straw poll of my friends about whether they liked apologizing or not, and what made them do it, what made them avoid it, and a number of them did say that it did feel like there was some shame involved in mm. owning their respond their failings. Yeah, and um. How hard it, that was for some people to do, and and for others it was so welcome. It was such a relief. Yeah, you know, I, 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 I you're, you're absolutely right on. I think, I think it's something you you may you may learn. And one one thing for parents who are on the phone, if you apologize genuinely to your kid when you make a mistake, you're teaching them how to apologize. That feels so helpful because so often I see parents forcing their kids to apologize. Say you're sorry, say you're sorry. Yes, and the kid is, you know, absolutely refusing. It's public, so now they're feeling humiliated, they're pressured. And yeah. then they, eventually the kid will cave because they're being threatened. 
And, then and they'll, they'll say, say some completely insincere apology. Sorry. Yeah, and then and then it, the parent acts as if something really good has happened, and everyone moves on. And I think, yeah. what was learned here that that it, you know this insincere apology is actually means something, and that forcing yourself to do it is yeah. actually it's very tricky because as parents we want our children to learn to apologize. Yeah. Well, well, one of the ideas I have would be to say, "Oh my, how do you think Johnny feels?" And your your, your child says, "Oh." I think he's really unhappy. And I said, gee, can you do anything to make him feel better? I don't know. Well, what about you You broke his toy. Maybe you, maybe you should give him your toy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How I, long has I, it I been since you had grand- a young child, Aaron? <laughs> I have 11 grandchildren, so I've taken well, a couple to be my experiment to, to, to work on apologies with them. <laughs> Aaron, it's wonderful to talk to you. We are going to have to stop. Thank you so much for the really pioneering work that you've been doing. On my Shane. pleasure. It's been a wonderful influence for me personally and professionally. I'm grateful to you. Thank you very much. I've been talking to Dr. Aaron Lazar, the author of the book on apology and also really path-breaking article, Shame in the Medical Encounter. If you'd like to be in touch with Dr. Lazar, you can reach him at aaron.lazar at umassmed.edu. My thanks tonight to Jen Hodgson for mixing the sound, Maurice Lennon for the music, and Neil McKenty for being my consultant. If you'd like to email me with a future topic or suggestion, please do so at drannwmpg at gmail.com. Coming up next, next week, is an, another uh, interview about shame with Dr. Brene Brown. Uh, coming up next is Allison with Money Talks.